0: You're probably better off investing in my (laughs) anti-portfolio. It seems like the things I say no to are the things that make money, I guess. So not that my opinion matters here. Poking holes in my assertions. This is probably blasphemous to you. So rude. So, so rude. Okay, let me step back. So she won't know that you just threw her under the bus. Okay, so I have... A lot of
1: thoughts. Before they sort of got vaporized.
0: Like, I still don't know why I care.
1: I'm going to cry when you say this, but go ahead, yes.
0: All the Cancun lovers are going to crucify me here, but...
1: 14 margaritas for you.
0: Judge me openly, everybody.
1: Hey guys, welcome back to Results Junkies Podcast. While Paul is away traveling, we have recorded this episode to talk about travel, and... I think the, the high note of this is to say that, you know, I, I went to my business partner, Russell, a little over a year ago and proposed this idea where we would try to find 10 travel startups per year to write checks into for five years to try and come up with 50 travel related startups to you know, build a portfolio. We are behind pace for sure, but the goal is to write starter checks into these companies of like 25 or 50 grand. Not that we'd be limited to that, but that's, as you know, like that's sort of our investing thesis is to start out small and then, you know, reserve money for follow-ons. And so, you know, when I mentioned this to you, you were interested in in talking and asking me questions about it because you and I haven't talked a ton about travel startups. I mean, I, like I talk about travel all the time, but you and I haven't talked a ton about trying to focus on travel.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting because, you know, in broad strokes, travel is one of those industries where... It has like a high, I mean, depending on which side you're talking about, but look, I'm going to assume here before I listen to your portfolio, I'm going to assume you're talking about something that's consumer facing to some extent, at least on one side of it. And if that's the case, like the travel industry is just really fascinating to me in general because it's a high, what's the word? Like high ticket price, high dollar amount. But for most people, a very not so common expenditure, like you're different, right? You're, you're a hardcore traveler and all that stuff, but. It's just one of those industries where you have like massive like consumers that spend a lot of money on tickets and stuff like that, but at the same time might only do that one time a year. So it's got a weird TAM associated with it. So it's just one of those industries where it kind of feels like it's a dangerous in, you know industry to invest in. But not my words aren't that great today. But
1: no, uh, and that's a lot of why we've avoided investing in travel. It's also an industry that that has very entrenched uh, incumbents. And, and so, I mean, like you're, not, you know, like you're not starting a startup airline very easily. You need a massive amount of capital. So you have to find a way to use existing companies. And so I feel like there are a handful of buckets, and there are obviously more than these, but, but to your point about these buckets, so there are consumer-facing businesses that would overlay um, what I would call the core travel components, airline, hotels, and maybe to a slightly lesser degree rental cars. And then there's the you know, same, same sort of B2C model but that overlays what I would call the everything else of travel. So, booking a guide in a remote destination, travel, you know, tips, travel, you know, strategies, travel equipment, travel, you know, suitcases, all that stuff. There's a cuz there's I mean just a ton of companies creating backpacks and suitcases and, and all that sort of stuff. So, there's that sort of B2C to C stuff where you're, maybe you don't need to go up against an entrenched incumbent um, by creating products that are parallel. And then there's a third bucket that's really you know, call it a B2B where, you know, there are entrenched players that move data back and forth or provide partnerships or things like that. And, 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 and a B2B play could be established to try and unseat some of those companies that maybe are less incumbent. You know, there's other tranches, but those are sort of like what I would call three main buckets.
0: Mm -hmm. Assuming I counted a three there. Well, okay. So, so, so I, I love, so not that my opinion matters here, but I love this idea of, you know, I think you said, Oh, I forget the exact numbers, but you said something like you're going to create a portfolio of 50 of fifty companies in this category over the course yep. of a couple of years. That's really, I, you know, I love that. You know, it's not just, you're creating a portfolio in that industry. That's super cool. So let's talk about, well, let's, let me let you drive because I think this is just really fascinating. I'm curious how much you want to talk about here.
1: <laughs> yeah. Let me, so let me give, I'm going to, first I'm going to give an example of a company that we did invest in and we talked a little bit about them on the show a while ago. But just an idea of like one of the examples where, because for a long time, I was afraid to invest in travel. Part of it was the entrenched incumbent part. And part of it was just, I was just jaded about the success that folks would have overcoming the incumbents. But quite frankly, I mean, you know, you're a great example of this because you use the line about, you know, not investing in Uber. Like, I never thought that somebody was going to take over the taxi industry and change it in New York City. Like the, you know, the medallions were the medallions. They've been mob controlled since before you and I were born. So that was what I viewed as a large part of the risk of these companies was that you know you had to get through some very entrenched you know battlefields to to, to make your way on this you know, in this ecosystem so one of the companies that we invest in is a company called Point me point.me and they what they do is they help folks use their miles and points and so the basic strategy is that you you go to point me and you say I want to go from Washington Dulles to the British Virgin Islands and I want to go on December 22nd you know show me all the flight options and it'll show you the flight options and then it'll tell you how many miles it is and which programs you can use. and so it's helping a consumer use a product that they already have with an entrenched incumbent so they're they're helping you get more value out of your miles and points and and there's there's to, to my, in my opinion, it's a little bit of a two-sided marketplace in that you're helping the consumer, which is great. but in theory, if you're delivering that customer to the airline, you know and I, I think you know this, but But intuitively, the airlines, they make money on flying, but in reality, they make much more of their revenue on everything else. They make money on the loyalty program. They make money on selling you insurance. They make money on rental car bookings, commissions, hotels, all that stuff. And so a company that is helping someone use their miles and points to take a vacation and then delivers them to the airline to make a booking now is also delivering the airline an opportunity to sell ancillary services to, to that customer more frequently. So there is some level of a symbiotic nature of that. And I think, you know, with that one specifically, part of why I think that's the case is that after we invested in them, there's now five or six alternatives that have popped up, including two that went through the most recent class of Y Combinator. And so the space is getting a lot of attention.
0: I. Okay, so I have a lot of thoughts, but mm-hmm. let me make sure. I let me just pause for a second because I want you to be. If, if there's a question that you have, let's talk about it first. Because otherwise, I want to like I have a question about the industry as a whole, but I don't want to like take us off take us off topic here. No, hit
1: the, hit me with the question because I because part of talking about this is you is you poking holes in my assertions.
0: Oh well, yeah. I mean, look, you're probably better off investing in my anti portfolio. <laughs> like it seems like the <laughs> things I say no to are the things that make money, I guess. But anyway. So, so here's the thing, right? You're, I don't know what the right term is for people like you, but you're like, you understand the point systems. You understand sure. how travel works. You, I remember at one point you showed me like how to turn on some weird hidden expert mode in my United account. Like I yep. still don't know why I care what fair class, but now it's exposed <laughs> and I'm like, oh, what do I do with this? Right? Okay. So I'm going to preface what I'm saying with, First of all, I love your idea of of crea- crafting a portfolio of, you know, 50 companies in this space. Absolutely love that. But just for a moment, I'm going to put that aside here. Mm-hmm. I think that like one of the ideas that I think is really interesting about this industry is, is that if we were to draw like a let's just say we drew a circle and and we labeled that circle the number of people that understand the intricacies and the inside of travel and how to use points, if we labeled that circle with that title, and then we created another circle that encompassed this other first circle that I talked about, that second circle would be all people that might travel at some point and would love to spend less cash if they had the opportunity to understand how to use their points better, right? Right. So like, to me, where I'm going with this is, is that, you know with this travel industry, you got all these consumers out there that want to spend money on travel, whether it's for vacations, business, whatever. On the other side, you got the airlines. You're not, at some point, you're going to end up on one of their airplanes, Mm -hmm. you know? And then the third sort of player in this industry is all the credit card companies that, you know, are out there that have these various point systems and stuff like that. Why hasn't somebody, you know, created like a mint.com for this? So, for example, like, you know, I think I get the core premise of of I get the core premise of Point Me. I'll defer to you on anything the specific, just because I'm not sure what we're allowed to say here about the company or not. But it still, as a whole, feels hard for me. Like, so for example, when I book this trip down to the Virgin Islands, mm-hmm. I I know that it's like when I buy stuff, I know there's like a little Ed, ed on my shoulder that's always like whispering, like you know, there's a cheaper <laughs> way to do this, right? Like I know you're going to say something to me. Yeah, but in my mind, I'm like, oh God, that sounds like an extra ten minutes of work. I don't want to think about this. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to jam. Like I'm optimizing, you know, I'm optimizing for like the 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 easiest flight for my wife and I. And so I guess where I'm going with this is, is that like this is one of those industries that just seems really fragmented right now. And you know, like yeah, I love that you're building this portfolio, but why hasn't like a founder out there or a founding team out there tried to build the next mint.com in this space? Like maybe that's like that long rambly
1: question. Yeah, yeah, there there is, there is something of a, of a mint.com. It's called a ward wallet. The problem with it is, is that many, if not most of the airlines view all of the, the data around your account as proprietary. So, so they won't, allow most websites to have access to your data. Where Mint was using APIs to plug in and get information about your various bank accounts and credit cards and stuff like that. And the what was it Plaid that was the sort of like the login <laughs> piece. You know, there's no because the airline systems are so antiquated, there is no equivalent of of Plaid in the in the aviation in the airline technology space. And so you know pulling those balances in is is more web scraping than anything else. web scraping is a huge part of this industry and, and it's you know hard to build a startup around web scraping just because from a value standpoint, it's so easy for for your business to vaporize overnight you know be, based on a, a change. And, and so I think that's a, a big part of why there isn't a mint.com. I think ultimately I, I thought I thought Google was approaching this and this is a little bit more of the history of the space. and this is why I'm starting to think about ways that, that this space could be disrupted. I don't want to say that I think it's ripe for disruption, the travel space, but I do think there are, I think both the existence of the, you know, the, the concept of what AI will bring to business. So like, for example, you were telling me about how superhuman is helping you write reply emails, Uh, like things like that make me think about the ways that AI can, and can help with disruption. And so do you use Google flights?
0: Mm -hmm. I, I use it a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Me too. So Google Flights, you know, one of the big pieces of Google Flights was a product created by a company called ITA Software. And Google bought ITA Software a long time ago. And so, like, ITA Software had a bunch of features that were very hard to use. They were, like, you sort of had to know. It was like, the, like, the Internet before, there was a search engine. It with all these codes that nerds like us would use, like AA++ to search specific flight types and alliances and things like that. And when, when Google bought ITA like the thought by us travel nerds was that they were going to use that to become travel agent of record and that they would start selling airline tickets and they would become the world's largest and most efficient OTA. And as you well know, they never did that. They always pass you off to someone else to buy the ticket. And that's a conscious decision on their part because they, like they have the ability to become an OTA. It's not hard. They have some of the best technology in terms of flight search. It's why you use Google flights because they provide you really easy tools to help you find the right ticket or to track the price or to do all these things. But they've they've crept right up to the line of disruption and then didn't go full disruption and and instead sell ads against that information, which, you know, again, is something that's very, you know, germane to, to, to Google's, you know, core. But at the same time, I think about, so the company that we're working with now, and I, I didn't think to ask him before he came on the show to see if I could tease the name of it. If he says yes, and I'll talk about it next week in more detail, but he's building a tool that overlays Google flights and it helps you get better information from Google flights. And I'm being a little bit vague about it. Cause like I said, he's, he's not quite in stealth mode to be sure. But the, the interesting thing about that, like that, what got me thinking about it is, you know, people are now building on top of these technologies that are built on top of airlines. So instead of building on top of American airlines, he's building on top of Google Flights, which is in turn built on top of the GDSs or global distribution systems that the airlines are using. And it makes me think that as airlines are being, forced isn't the right word, but as they're all contributing to these global distribution systems, it makes me think that as Google has assimilated all this data, that there are probably going to be uh, a number of opportunities over the next couple of years for people to overlay technology on top of what people like Google have built and use that to to do two things. One, I think, is to to, to build B2C products, which you know I think we'll see lots of those pop up, but those will be more lifestyle businesses. I don't think like, you're going to see big movers there. But the other thing are sort of like what I would call businesses that look like B2C businesses, but, but are really B2B businesses. And, and one example of that I'll, I'll give is a company called statusmatch.com. A guy named Mark Ross Smith started this company. And so what they do is they they sell the ability to 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 match your airline status from one airline to another. So let's just say you're fed up with United and you've decided you want to fly American or Delta now. Mark's company helps you status match to another airline. And sometimes there's a fee for it, sometimes it's free. Sometimes the airlines sponsor these programs, but it's a service that looks great to you, you know, because Paul's like, oh, I don't want to use my United service anymore. I hey, hate United, I want to fly Delta. And so they help you get that status with Delta. But in reality, what they're doing is they're creating a value proposition for the airline by bringing them new customers that they might not have otherwise have gotten. I think the stat is something like over 80% of all the people that fly American Airlines on a yearly basis fly the airline once a year. So, yeah. you know, the ability to, to increase that frequency is, is massive. And so there's a piece where, where Mark is, is building this technology that is helpful to consumers, but is really helping the airlines find entrenched customers elsewhere and move them to their airline for the ability to sell them these ancillary services.
0: Like the way you describe this, the the way you sort of describe this industry, it just, I don't know, it sort of reinforces the fact that I think that one of the bigger companies that might, okay, let me step back. So you just said, the way you talked about something a minute ago, I think is really important. You were talking about it conceptually in the sense that You've got companies like Google that own, you know, the infrastructure layer or the, you know, the interchange layers and stuff like that. Mm. And then you've got people building on top of that, you know, yep. and, and and stuff like that. What you're kind of describing is kind of, I think, what Join Honey was. So for people mm. who don't know, there used to be a browser plugin called Honey. Yeah. And you would just install it on your browser. And as you went to different stores, whether it's Nordstrom.com or Amazon or whatever, it would detect what products you're looking on at the page looking at on the page and when you check out it would try to run a bunch of different coupons for you to save you money. Right. It was totally free and stuff like that, but their business model was B2B behind the scenes, you know. Right. And the interesting part is is that they that's what they did. They basically sat on top of everybody else and recently got acquired by PayPal for 4 billion in cash. That that's an important point there by the way, in yeah. cash. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, hey, please, here's some, here's some stock or whatever. You know, these guys are, this is a relatively small footprint company in terms of headcount that, you know, sat on top of the existing infrastructure. And, and I would say if I had to summarize their business model or their strategy, uh, you know, on the back of a small napkin, I would say they were consumer focused, but e-commerce native, meaning yeah. they were, it's not that they didn't know something that the e-commerce, you know, pundits didn't. It's just that they had deep, deep, deep understanding of what the average consumer, which is like that big circle, that big part of the outer layer of the Venn diagram, that's where like the the you know, the the TAM really exists, that total addressable market exists. So here, what you're kind of alluding to is the fact that like there's probably gonna need to be like a a join honey or like a hip monk or something like that. It sits on top of these layers.
1: Well hipbook was very Hiplunk was was very successful in a very unique way before they sort of got vaporized.
0: you know I might t- I, I, sorry, I just want to like get this yeah. off my head real quick. so like yeah, for me as an average consumer, I, I'll just admit something right off the bat. You know, when I sit there and I you know try to book flights or whatever or book hotels or whatever, and I ha- I'm given the choice to use points versus miles. I might have all the miles in the world, but the weird part is is i'll for me personally. I will almost certainly just pay the dollars because I'm, I don't know what those points are actually worth. I'm not exactly sure what those, you know, points, what, what clauses those points have. Like, I'll give you an example. Actually, let me just give you a concrete example. When I was running my marathon down in Richmond a couple of weeks ago, um, I always stay at the Delta downtown because it's right by the finish line and, you know, whatever. We've stayed at that property before. You know, the choice was pay, I don't know what it was, like $700 for two nights. Or pay—I don't know what it was—fifty thousand points or whatever. For a moment, putting aside whether or not that was, you know, whether the dollars were worth more or the points were worth more, which frankly mm-hmm. I don't know. The the part that really hung me up and, and and encouraged me to just pay dollars was like, does that does this come with upgrades? You know, like I'm titanium elite. If I get this room with points, does it actually give me an upgrade? You know, and I was like, ah, I'm done with it. Like, let's just hit the the cash button. And I don't think I'm in the minority. I think the average person that travels doesn't really understand this stuff. And I I think there's going to be a huge opportunity for somebody that is consumer obsessed, like understands how normal people like I think, and can sit on top of, to your point, sit on top of the existing infrastructure in a way that sort of abstracts them away from like the, you know, the deal making and the, the gatekeeping that might happen.
1: And, that, and that's know, a lot. I, that's a lot of what Point Me is doing. And then there's another company that that's a company that I talked about. And I'll see if I can't talk a little bit more about that next week, because I think it's an interesting. Like if I if I explain the value prop on the other one, it really talks to a lot of the things that you're talking about in terms of um, helping consumers define value. And I think that's a big part of this because I think people collect miles and points and don't understand the value. And so they use them in an inefficient way. And and market inefficiencies, as you well know, is a is a great place for startups to step in. And I think, you know, there's one other piece of this when you talk about market inefficiencies that that's really made me think about why things are ripe for disruption. And I can't tell you that I have the definitive way that this will happen, but like when you book like when you book your hotels and rental cars, you're generally going directly to the hotel or rental car site, right? I am, yep. And so you might earn some small reward from the program if you're, you know, a part of their, you know, loyalty program it you know, Hertz Gold Plus Rewards or something like that. But for the most part, you're not earning much when you do that. The interesting thing is there are a couple of situations out there right now, and I'll use one like the Capital One Venture X card. If you book your rental car through Capital One Venture X, they'll pay you 10 miles per dollar for doing that. Now, if you think about that, any card in your wallet, you're probably getting one or two or three points per dollar. 10 is like, holy cow, that's a lot. Well, what does that say to me? What that says to me is if that, if that credit card company or that airline can afford to pay 10x, it means they're making more, more than that. And so that, there's a huge market inefficiency in there. Like in some small hotels and smaller areas of the, in the world, their commissions to online travel agencies can be as much as 30 or 40% of their room rate. And so when I think about those sorts of inefficiencies... It, it like there's a there's a market in there in between the folks that are charging these companies exorbitant commissions or the, or the the brands are paying the exorbitant commission to get the the business and what the consumers paying and trying to find a way to, to live in the middle there and make mm-hmm. that to bring value to the to the consumer
0: and see as a consumer if you if, if you were to ex- make if you were able to surface more opportunities like that, that don't mm-hmm. require me to have specialized knowledge, right. fear of screwing it up, and just let me do it, I'd gladly give you some of that spread. Wait, right. you know? if I
1: said to you, if I said to you, and this is like how a lot of it comes together, what if I said to you, I could, I could give you twenty dollars cash back on your next car rental, or a hundred bucks cash back on your next car rental? Like that's, yeah. it's yeah. very addressable to you. You understand the number. So exactly. yeah. if I do that math and say, well, if I sell Paul this rental car booking and I make a $200 commission and I give him a hundred and I make a hundred very rudimentary example, but there's enough fluff in the middle there for companies to try and live in that middle and create a business. And then to your point, you know, I don't know what happens next. You know, maybe they get absorbed by a travel agency. Maybe they, you know, make mailbox money. Maybe they have data that an airline or a hotel or a rental car company wants to buy, but they have a place in the ecosystem.
0: See, this is really fascinating. I don't know if I'm probably going to, this is probably blasphemous to you, but just as an example, and I'm just talking as an average consumer, because that's all mm-hmm. I am. When I go into the Amazon, you know, the Amazon checkout flow, if I'm going to
1: cry when you say this, but go ahead, yes.
0: You know where I'm going with this. I so, do. like, as an average consumer, when I go through my checkout flow with Amazon at the end, where it says, like, okay, how do you want to pay? And, and let's say I've selected my American Express or whatever, right? Right. It says, okay, put the $62 on, you know, let's just say it's $62. Okay. Do you want to pay this with your Amex? And then right below it, there'll be a little radio button. You yep. know, it'll say you have this many points and then it'll put in parentheses, somehow convert that to dollars. And I can choose it. The way that they do this in the UX is really fascinating because like, yeah. I don't think, I mean, look, Amazon's not, in the business to save me money, I have a feeling that what they're really doing is is like converting those points you know and in a suboptimal way that ends up but where it makes me feel like I didn't pay anything for whatever the thing is that I just bought, but they're probably keeping the spread somewhere in there you know and like but my point is is that that's a UX experience that you know I think resonates with normal people and it's like how sure. do you do that like what if what if and I'm making this up, but it's like what if there was like a consumer obsessed founder that you run into that really understands how that math is done and really cares a lot about design and user experience and and, and and like the user flow and created the honey for that. Like give anywhere where I use my credit card, tell me, you know, with, with good UX and clean math, whether it's better for me to use points here or or to use dollars. Cause like, Right now, if I really am faced with that, I'm going to text you. I'm lucky enough to know right. you, right? Right. But most people don't have that.
1: We're definitely going to talk about that next time we record. But but inside that same nugget, and then I know you got to go, so we'll we'll tie it off here. But inside that same nugget, where you talk about the you know the, this this consumer and and connecting with them, there's this you know I just feel like when I look at this ecosystem, I look at other plays that are successful. It's to your point. It's about empowering the consumer and in your case you use the Amazon example of a penny a point like I guarantee I'm pretty sure I know the credit cards in your wallet I guarantee that if you use any of the points that you have for those Amazon purchases you're losing and losing by a factor of probably 50 to 100% in value and so you know but on the flip side it makes it easy for you and so like there's you know obviously a lot of pieces in play there but the those inefficient those inefficient transactions are what power the ability for somebody like me to nerd out and and get bigger value. So if everybody was optimized in this ecosystem and nobody redeemed for Amazon and they all redeemed for the most expensive airline ticket or hotel that they could, well, then there wouldn't be any breakage. And so effectively, when you click that Amazon button, you're the breakage in the model. And so it's it's like there, there obviously is a balance in in this ecosystem. But I think there's, but travel is one of those things that there's so much intention in travel. There's, you know, you like, you and Dana know where you want to go and you love going there. Caribbean, you know, BVI, that's a big thing for you. You guys knew you wanted to get married in Paris and you knew the Shangri-La was the place you wanted to do it. That intention, in my opinion, drives irrational, emotional decision making. And mm-hmm. because of that, there are incredible opportunities for loyalty, which is why these loyalty programs have grown as big as they've grown. But on the flip side, there's also this whole there's this whole other piece of if you have all this information, what how else can you address this market? You, you brought up TAM a couple of times. And I really think that there's, I don't know what it looks like, but it, you know, like somebody, uh, you know, a, a, a guy I know, Brian Kelly, who runs the Points Guy, he, he was talking about a company that he's looking at that uses AI to help build the right travel plan for you and in, in a place that you go and connect you with. Local people that live there that are the experts in wherever you're going for tours or restaurants or whatever you're talking about. And that like those things would be incredibly expensive to build in a world where there wasn't AI. But once you have yeah. the ability to, you know, like I, the, 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 the power that those things unlock in terms of re- removing the massive costs to assemble databases is what makes me think that travel is starting to get to the point where a small amount of capital could build a business that has the potential to reach exit velocity.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, I think and again, you know this industry better than me, but look, it's it's a obviously a massive industry, lots of gross transaction volume here. Like, you know, in other words, lots of consumers funneling tons of money to airlines and hotels and all that. Like it's it's clearly like this is one of those industries that is just so massive that there's a huge opportunity for somebody to make you some money yeah. in it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I think about it from an investor standpoint, the thing that's always kind of held me back Personally has always just been that most of the, you know, founders that I've run into, and I say this with all the respect in the world, their entire business model is sort of pinging off of their ability to close some sort of partnership deal with an airline or with a hotel group or something like that, which I get why they have to do it. I, I get that there's like, you know, terms and what you said earlier about like, you know, you know, the, the players don't really want their points to be exploited that way. But man, on the flip side you know, what would happen if you ran into like, a, you know, if you think about the persona or the stereotypical persona of the people that founded mint.com or join honey or, you know, hip monk, what, what if we ran into somebody like that, that, that gets really fascinating because yeah. like, you know, if you can sit on top of these platforms and sort of just play in that gray area, the gross transaction volume is so large that just cutting off a little bit of it here and there numbers can add up very, very quickly. Like, in other words, I think this is less of a technology problem and more of a distribution problem. Like, how do you get, sorry, one last thing. You know, I went to breakfast with my parents the other day and we were just catching up because they they had gone on a destination wedding for, you know, a friend of a friend and they were down in Cancun. And just out of the blue, I was like, hey, how much that cost, by the way? What was, what was that like? Five days in Cancun, they spent yeah. five grand. Yeah, And I was like, you know, that's not that doesn't seem normal, right? Yeah,
1: that's yeah, exactly. That's not the normal yeah, number. I, I
0: was like, that's not normal. And they were like, oh, well, you know, it's just part of the wedding thing. And I was like, yeah, no, 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 no. They, they, they got you. They got you. They got you cookie. They knew that you were like a captive audience. You were going to be there for the wedding. And so somewhere there's probably a set of cookies on your computer that were basically like labeling you the, the money bags. Because, you know, you probably shouldn't be spending more than a thousand bucks to go to some place like Cancun. All the Cancun lovers are going to crucify me here. But my point is, is that like, man, there's just a lot of money being spent here. And some, there's a huge opportunity for somebody to sort of smartly insert themselves into this. And I I just, my brain just goes back to this mint.com join honey, yes. hip mark sort of hybrid that sat on top of everything else and made plenty of money doing it. So
1: yeah, no, anyway. I agree. I agree. And I think there's, I think there's a lot to come here and I, I hope, I mean, selfishly, I hope us talking about this means that some companies that are thinking about being in the travel space will, you know, send over a, a note about investing in them. I, you know, be lying if I said that wasn't part of why I brought this up. But I also think, too, like I, I would like you and I to continue the discussion as I look at companies, because I think um, I do think there's a lot of disruption that can be had in this space. But there are also lots of entrenched, you know, interests that make it hard. And so somebody yeah. needs to challenge that assertion.
0: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And if anybody out here can kind of help me figure out how to maximize my points to dollars ratio without me having to sit on a call with Ed for 30 minutes, I'll be your first customer. (laughs)
1: That's so rude. So, so rude.
0: No. all right, man. Well, I uh, I know at some point we're going to talk about your uh, secret trip to Chicago to talk about travel related stuff. Maybe that's related to this. Who knows? I have no idea, but uh, it could be. I don't even know
1: everything we're talking about, so we'll we'll see. But uh, yeah, definitely definitely more to come on on that. And I also I, I think whether whether it's bringing this founder on the show with us briefly or me explaining it, I'll just make sure that it's cool by him. But I think you're going to really love the the product that he's building. I think it's going to make world of difference for you. And it's going to come at a, a cost of $0. All
0: right. Yeah. Let's get him on the show. If he's up for it, let's get him yeah. on the show or we'll yeah. talk about him on the show. But I think we should do that.
1: Cool. Can't wait to hear about your adventures from the island. I will set the...
0: How many days are you there total? Five. Monday through Friday. So... Right. Well,
1: I, I will I will set the... I was set the over under at 14 margaritas for you.
0: Buddy, you are... Way off the mark. Like like way under. Oh my God. I don't know what you think. Dude, there, there's nothing to do at St. John. Dana and I go there twice a year, just the two of us, because there's nothing to do there. I think the the logistics company that we hired to fill our <laughs> dude, yeah. My the logistics company we hired to fill the fridge before we checked in, I think. I think it's five cases of beer before that like the the oh, checkout god. order it was it started with five cases of beer oh dear god you know and anyway ju- judge me openly everybody <laughs> oh so, well, yeah
1: well past that 14
0: yeah. margaritas jeez man what did you what no wow.
1: wh- all right well i'm
0: basing it on my own lightweight
1: standards so i apologize <laughs> I, I've, I've revised i've revised it to to 35 margaritas am i getting closer? i just want to
0: po- i also want to point out by the way that dana is the one that actually set that order up I, I i just want to say i'm i'm not alone drinking all that oh,
1: way to throw her into the bus the great thing is is that just like my <laughs> wife uh, i'm sure that your wife does not listen to the episodes so, <laughs> yeah, that's right. so she won't know that you just threw her into the bus
0: that's exactly right yeah all right man well i uh i wish you a lot of luck with your travels this week and i can't wait to talk more about this travel stuff if uh, your buddy wants to come on the show it'd be fun all right man well enjoy the trip all right buddy talk to you soon
1: preceding was produced in association with Crooked Path Productions